Hey everybody, welcome to a new episode of the Low Code Approach. I'm Sean Feeney, and today I'm joined with... I'm Wendy Haddad. And I am Kendrick Lee Aguilar. Yes, that is my full legal name today, everyone. And... Wait, Ken, wait, 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 Ken, what's your full legal name on other days? Dr. No. <laughs> oh, that's... That's very there you cool. go. All right. Fantastic. So today we are joined with two guests for this show. We are joined with Sabine Nair, Principal Group Program Manager, and Jocelyn Panchal, Program Manager, both on the Dataverse team. How's everybody doing? Doing so Fantastic. well. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Awesome. Ken, I know you want to start off the question gauntlet for our two guests today. I do. I do, Sean. And it is a pleasure to have them both here. The first question today is... What are power platform connectors? So the very technical definition is it's a wrapper or proxy around a REST API and application programming interface, which allows for the transference of data in between external data sources into the power platform. Less technical. It serves as a type of highway that allows you to bring in data from other places and then perform automations or build your applications in power platform leveraging this data. Interesting. Interesting. So we try to sometimes avoid many three-letter acronyms. What's an API, Jocelyn? Yes, it stands for an application programming interface. This is supposed to be different than a user interface in that it allows two different computer programs to interact with one another. So Jocelyn, why should we care about these connectors or APIs? So Think about our audience are, you know, many of them are either citizen developers, they're business users, we've got some business decision makers, as well as pro devs, but people who may not be as familiar with this. So why should we be thinking about this today? Absolutely. So what's really awesome about our connectors is that we completely remove any limits on what you can do within your flows or within your apps. You're not limited to what's available within Microsoft or Office's suite of products, right? You can do automations beyond just Word and Outlook. Our connectors expand to many, many third-party services. So if you use other services and other products besides Microsoft, that's okay. You can integrate them into our suite as well and perform these automations and build these customized applications and solutions within Power Platform using your other data sources. Awesome. Thanks, Jocelyn. You know, there's there's a lot of third-party services and, you know, data backends that you can connect to with this. What what are some of the challenges that you've come across when working with partners for developing these connectors and hooking into their APIs? Is there a standardization that they have to follow to, to turn it into a connector? Can you tell me more about that? Of course. So every connector starts off as what we call a custom connector. A custom connector is just deployed within your own environment. It's very personalized. You can curtail it to your specific needs. That's always the first step. After that comes, as you said, a well thorough, thought out certification process. That's what brings that custom connector to our list of all of our many certified connectors that are publicly available for any Power Platform user. So there's a whole process that goes through testing and validation and iteration interacting with our team here at Microsoft. Is there some difficulties? At times, absolutely. Every API is different, and we really try to put as much ownership and responsibility on our partners as possible because nobody knows your product and your API better than you. But we're here to support throughout all of the testing processes. So, Jocelyn, many folks know that I am the, you know, the security, the governance person within our community, within our PMs, and, and so on. So... This question's coming. How do connectors relate to data policies? 
how do I secure them? How do I make sure that no one's using them for malicious purposes? I could ask tons of questions inside of here, but what do we have within the platform to ensure that customers are governed, secure, and protected when they're using these connectors? It's a fantastic and valid question, Ken. We have a bunch of granular controls that we provide to administrators. One of the biggest main ones is DLP, data loss prevention policies. This allows admins to select which connectors they're comfortable being leveraged within their environments or tenants. From there, we can get even more granular. We also have a bunch of action level policies as well. So one concern that some admins have is, I'm concerned about leveraging delete actions within automations. I'm scared that my makers might accidentally make a flow that's going to automatically delete things in their email. Admins have the rights to go and turn off delete actions within specific connectors as well. And with regards to where you're drawing that data from, we also have endpoint filtering capabilities for a couple of our most used connectors, and we are working on adding even more of those. I think what you just said was so important, and I see that working with our customers all the time because so many times, if they put in any governance, usually it's just blocking the connector at whole mm-hmm. versus, um, or, or you know, the, the non-business data versus actually looking at the individual actions and saying, well, let me enable our business making something read-only and making a different environment with different policies where certain people can then opt in and, and maybe have right access. For example, the social media connectors are a great example. When we think about governance, we think about both security, but we also think about privacy, especially in today's day and age, that's becoming a hotter and hotter topic. So I know that there's the custom connectors and then there's the certified connectors. Can you talk to us about the different types of certified connectors as well as like who owns that and and privacy and, and how should we be thinking about it and maybe where our customers can go for information about those connectors? A hundred percent. So within the certified connector realm, there are actually three distinct types. The first is what we call first party. These are connectors that are owned and serviced and taken care of by Microsoft. They primarily consist of Microsoft APIs like SharePoint, like Dataverse. But there are a couple that we made in our early days of ecosystem, such as Google Drive, that we still own as well. From there, we also have verified publisher connectors. So these are large enterprises that are leveraging their own APIs. They own it and they are the ones who have the rights to service it. And they also do take care of a lot of the tickets or service questions as well. So depending on if your user has an issue with that connector, where the issue is falling might actually land on the API side of it. At that point, it's the verified publisher who's responsible for helping you. And our last is our independent publisher connector. This can be made by anyone, an MVP, a student, a community member, anyone at all. And all they are doing is leveraging an open source API. So they are at that point the owner of it as well, but they are not the owner of the API itself. With regards to data policies and protections and who's being able to see this data and everything, you don't have to be worried that there is an independent publisher like in a dark basement or something going through your data whatsoever. Like we said, it's a data highway, right? So your information is going between Power Platform and the API, the Power Platform and the API. So you have to think, hey, if I'm leveraging a connector that's owned by a verified publisher, I am actually leveraging that verified publisher's program, and that's what I'm consenting to. I'm consenting to the policies of that enterprise's API. You're not consenting to some kind of a relationship specifically with the independent publisher, if that's the case. And if if I may just chime in, like, I don't know how many folks understand connectors versus custom connectors. We are notorious for all these namings, right? 
So I think it just to put some realism to it, think of if you are a provider who who wants the world to connect to your data, you're a cloud provider, you want, and you want people to connect to you. So you want something that encapsulates your API. The API is just how two applications talk to each other. So you want to encapsulate that and put it out there. So why connector? Well, it just makes it very reusable. So the persona that we are targeting is business users. A lot of people can learn. It's not rocket science. You can learn how to converse with APIs, doing a get request and all. If you want to make it reusable, that's where connectors come in. A lot of people think that, oh, I need to do something, get it certified, put it out there. You don't have to. And that's the reason custom connectors is incredibly powerful. I'm sorry for the longish answer, but I know of customers that I've met recently as well. It's it's absolutely amazing to hear about this scenario where it's a tourism company. They have a bunch of databases from which they are constantly seeking information. But then just to seek information from their own databases over and over, something which is very reusable that you can, they can plug into many different applications becomes incredibly powerful. So always remember, it's almost to me is like custom connector should be everybody's baby. Everybody wants custom connector. And if you also further want the world to connect to you, so if you want the Power Apps makers be able to reach out to your services, then you would put a connector out there. Either you do it, or it's just like Jocelyn said, somebody else does it. Net, net, that is the difference. But don't underestimate the power of a custom connector. Okay, I'm going to ask a question that has been bugging many of our citizen developers for some time that as I worked with them. Occasionally, Microsoft will announce that they're deprecating a connector. You know, what is what is the life cycle of our connector? Why do we determine and when do we determine to add features to an existing one versus create a new one? And then how are we communicating that life cycle to our users? And, and what should they be thinking of as they're building their apps about the life cycle of those connectors and being able to maintain the apps and flows that they're building? So sometimes connectors have to get deprecated because an API is being revised or upheaved so drastically that it's no longer capable for us to just iterate and update the connector. Each connector publisher, whether that's Microsoft or someone else, has full rights to the connector that they own. So if they want to push updates or revise, they completely can. But if they're changing the backend API too much, then we might have to deprecate it and make a new one. This is usually denoted in our documentation with like a little tag that says deprecated. That does not mean that your connections are going to be instantly broken whatsoever. We leave it. It is not our goal to break any existing apps and flows. So it is quite possible that your apps and flows can continue working as is. It is just that we will no longer support it or revise it anymore, but it will stay in that condition. Additional reasons why it can be deprecated. It could have to do with the verified publisher might be going in a different direction with their company or their product or that they're working on doing something brand new altogether. Again, this is decisions made by that connector owner, not necessarily by Microsoft ourselves. Cool. Hey, Jocelyn, I just want to go into one more topic about some of the release stages for connectors. Like many features, there's a preview or public preview stage, and then we go into generally available or GA, as we so often call it here. Can you tell me a little bit about the difference between the two? Absolutely. Super related to the whole deprecated versus non-deprecated situation as well. Given that we provide as much ownership to the publisher as possible, we also move at their pace when it comes to preview versus GI. 
So when a connector first gets deployed, it's obviously into public preview, as is any feature. From there, we go ahead and monitor metrics and telemetry and usage and success to see if the connector is working well and if our customers are happy with it before we go ahead and say it's now GA eligible. Given, again, that a lot of these connectors are not owned by Microsoft ourselves, we just tell the publishers and partners, hey, your connector is now eligible for GA. Obviously, GA requires a support model. It requires a, a dedicated team behind that API that's willing to take care of those potential tickets. For that reason, we cannot force any publisher or partner into GA. So if you see a connector that's made by somebody outside of Microsoft and you're like, hey, this has been in preview for a long time, that is completely possible uh, because the publisher might not be ready to support it in GI. That being said, from an actual technical standpoint, no functionality changes necessarily between public preview and GI. The connector will work the same. The only difference from a user or customer perspective is if I have an issue, where do I go? So we have some just incredible innovations happening at the company right now, especially with our general availability date of Microsoft 365 Copilot coming on November 1st. And as we're thinking about AI and Copilot, we've been hearing more about how Power Platform is being used to extend Copilot. And we were talking about connectors. We just celebrated a milestone over a thousand connectors in this space. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, I, I think of M365 Copilot as being more on the productivity tools side or collaboration tools, but yet Power Platform's coming into play. So what's that connection? Can you talk a little bit more about that? I think it helps to put some definitions in place and simpler definitions, right? Microsoft Copilot is becoming a common noun now. It is just your AI companion, right? So you are talking to an app. You're trying to build an app. So there's a companion right there in the sidecar who's helping you, and you can converse with it. That is the key thing. You can talk to somebody in your natural language, and you will see this put everywhere wherein your words are changed into actions, and this is exactly what it means. So in this age of AI, in this era of AI, when you're talking to uh, what, what seems like a bot which is actually helping you, these co-pilots, well, a connector to an app is like a plug-in to a co-pilot. It just lights up your co-pilots. So if you want your co-pilots to go seek information from different cloud services, that's where plugins come in. So in the new world, it's almost like, hey, we're going to call connectors as plugins. There is a slight difference between them. There's a gap that you have to sort of bridge when you take an existing connector in a few steps. And I don't mean to oversimplify, but it is actually just a few steps. There is a UI which actually just walk you through changing your connector to a plugin. So I can go on, but I'll pause there. Does that help? No, 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 Sabine. No, that doesn't help. We're going to go on, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no. You just gave me something new. I'm going to confuse myself with a little bit here. So now we have connectors and we have plugins. The first question a customer is going to ask me is, what's the difference? Yeah. I don't understand. Why do we have a connector? I thought a connector was a plugin. Oh, wait a minute. We have a plugin. I thought a plugin was a connector. So could you go a little bit deeper and explain the difference between the two, please? Absolutely. So at 11.30 PM last night, we got this question from a customer, literally. So I think it's very valid, right? So if you dial back, you heard Jocelyn talk about this, right? You have two applications. So think of our apps on our side, 
and there are various cloud services. How do these two applications talk? Well, we created APIs or somebody created APIs, application programming interface. It's an interface wherein two apps talk to each other. We could give you examples as well. So then how do you make this interface reusable? Because the interface itself will throw people off like, what, I have to code? Now, if you take this pipeline, this highways of information that Jocelyn was talking about, encapsulate that into a simpler, a wrapper, that's when a connector is born. Now you take that connector put natural language in front of it of when to call that thing, then you can use the connector to be a plugin. Why natural language? Why these terminologies like plugin? In the, as I said, mentioned earlier, in co-pilots, you're, you're conversing with the co-pilot. And in that, you need to take a connector, put some additional metadata to it, put some little more definition to it, then it can participate in copilots. Think of connectors, very valid to say that connectors and plugins are similar. It is because it's kind of the same thing, but to make it participate in AI, you just have to add more definitions, which is why going from an existing connector to a plugin is pretty simple. I mean, I wouldn't say like you could just do it in a few clicks, but in a lot of cases you could actually do that too. So we're fielding questions from customers all the time about N365 Copilot and this concept of plugins and connectors expanding Copilot may be new to many people. I want to make sure that we, we double click on this here. When we talk about the connectors, are all of the connectors, we talked about a thousand plus connectors for the Power Platform, are they available for N365 Copilot extensibility? And then as I think about those connectors, some of those connectors don't just let me read data and pull data in, they also let me write data. And with AI, that can be concerning to some people. So could you please speak to what connectors would be available, what that functionality would be, and then maybe the safety and reviews that we're doing as we're thinking about our customer data? Let's take an example, and then we can go there to answer all your questions. If I build an application, like simple power app, where you just plug in, and I'll take one of the examples I remembered from April Dunham's video, where I think she had an app where you can plug in a contact, it's a contact app. So you plug in something like Jocelyn at Microsoft.com, and there is a bunch of bazillion fields that you have to fill along with the contact then that's when you can use a connector to look up the information for Jocelyn and it automatically fills up that form, right? So that is one type, that's a power app, you can put that and if you're working with it, you can say, hey, if I put a email address, I'll get a bunch of information back. But now imagine in the new world, you can talk to somebody just to get the relevant information. An example that we provided in one of the blogs was, you have the desk 365 connector. Anytime a ticket is created in the desk 365, it will go in create a corresponding thing in Artifact in Azure DevOps. But now imagine I can talk to the Destry plugin, because now connectors become a plugin, and I could say, hey, can you tell me the tickets assigned to Sabine? And it says it gives me a bunch of tickets. Well, that's too much. Can you actually tell me the set two tickets assigned to Sabine? And it actually just filters it. That is like, talking to somebody. That is one of the main differences when you, and I'm not saying this is way superior. It is definitely easier first to converse and then superior. 
does does that help understand further between the connector and plugin? And Wendy, can you remind me of the couple of other questions that you asked? Well, I was just asking about the the privacy side of it, right? And yeah. and the security side, because connectors yeah. today let people both read and write depending on the connector of data. What are we doing to quality check and make sure that we are protecting the security? And and will the right functionality even be available for these plugins? So uh, yes and yes. In fullness of time, everything is a yes. But security comes first and that happens right away. So all the security and compliance that you had with your connectors, we will make sure also applies to plugins, number one, okay? Now, there's something to understand about the way this, this works behind the scene. Just think of how do these co-pilots work? What really happens behind the scene? Well, anytime you're talking to, I'll take the same example of, tell me the tickets assigned to so-and-so. So when using your natural language and putting that, if you have often heard the word prompt, so behind the scenes, this is converted to a prompt and it converts to like SQL statement to some extent, and then it's checking with some systems which is often referred to as grounding. So it will check with the Microsoft 365, with the graph, with the dataverse. And then it probably in some cases embellished with like further decorated with things that we want. And on its way, before it comes back to the user with an answer, this is when RAI or responsibility AI comes into the picture. It just sounds a little different because it wasn't very relevant in the connector world. In the plugin world, in the AI world, you'll often hear this and we are very, very big on that because what goes back to the user is super duper important. So that kind of covers your security related aspect. You also had a question about connectors help you write stuff as well because you will only hear of the read. You're absolutely right that today it is primarily limited to reading information. We want to be super careful. It's not because the tech doesn't exist. We will definitely get there. We will be super careful before we write. Because anytime you create something, which is a write, you also have to make sure that you're able to delete something if it is incorrectly written. So to be able to handle all this really well, there is a lot of work being done to make sure, first of all, that read itself is perfect. Then we go to the next step. So all of these are coming. Imagine creating a bazillion tickets. Well, that sounds okay when you say it, but imagine if it actually does it, create a bazillion tickets. So you just have to have some checks and balances in place before you actually do it. Sorry, too long. No, this this was absolutely great, in, in the, Sabine, honestly. I love your, your details and your explanations, and I think that this is something that we absolutely need to explain to customers. Now, I'm going to jump the line a little bit and ask, you know, the elephant's always in the room, how does this affect licensing? Like, oh, I'm building something. What license do I need for this? Do I need seated? Do I need premium? Do I need an app? Do I need an app pass? Do I need automate? Like what, what, what? That's always the question. So back over to you, Sabine. How do you handle these questions when a customer comes and asks this question to you? I bet there is a better answer with licensing always. Uh, and then Sabine may not be the right person. Uh, some of these things are sort of TBD, it's still in the works. Some are out there. If you look at the Microsoft 365 Copilot uh, license, which was recently announced for 30, 35 bucks, uh, some of that maybe covers a little bit of here. Even yesterday, we were talking about licensing and how some of these things will work. So if you have a specific license from Microsoft 365, you are also covered for the premium connectors. I would say this, yes, it is still TBD. It is not completely out there. The thing that 
I keep talking about is when you're working in today's world across multiple different applications, multiple different services, multiple different teams, you just want to make sure when the customer comes in, they don't have to work on multiple different licenses as well. So there should be some cohesiveness, and I think that's what everybody's trying to do in how the licensing is done. So you could come in from different planes, you could come in from Power Platform, you can come in from Microsoft 65 a customer as a customer, so hopefully we have the licensing part a lot more uniformly done. So yeah, it is more, and hey, so this is TBD, uh, to be, uh, like, we're still figuring this out. We don't have all the details. It's to be, and Jocelyn can chime in, but I think that's a really fair answer, honestly. Because sometimes when these things are not exactly still in GA or anything like that, right? We have yet to announce, you know, a firm answer on those things. And that's okay for us to actually be that honest with the customers and say, hey, we're figuring it out. And by the way, we would love your feedback. If you think something should be a specific way, then would you encourage folks to reach out to both of you is there a platform that you both use maybe for folks to contact you if they have more questions? Absolutely. And I'll just add one more thing. I'm a big fan of super duper simplifying thing. If you don't understand some of our responses, please tell us so that we can further simplify. Because the goal here is not to talk some tech stuff and walk away. We want people to build and we strongly believe that anybody can actually start building these apps because we have the low-code platform. So we want more and more people to come build apps, come build plugins for these co-pilots. So just keep it super simple, please. Thank you. So you bring up a great kind of call to action as we want people to start building apps and, and building plugins and connectors for us. Where can they get started? What resources do we have to offer them to begin this journey or to optimize their existing power platform assets? This is probably sounds like a shameless plugin, but I recently put a blog out there, I think a few weeks back. And that blog, I think it reads unlocking your ecosystem across low-code solutions and Microsoft 365 Copilot because that's the max it could fit. I know it's a longish date, but it talks about the plugins and how going from connected to plugins. And it has links in there for a preview program. So definitely click on that. I can even drop a link here. Just click on that, sign up for the preview, and the documentation will be available through it. By the time we hit some of these milestones, the upcoming conferences, some of these things will become public preview. I'm tap dancing around what will become public preview because that's always something that we are working towards. And at that point, all these documentation will be publicly available. But until then, definitely sign up for the previews and you should be able to access uh, this documentation. Awesome. Thank you. And then we can also point to the existing connector documentation that kind of goes over how connectors are built and then the security considerations around all of them. Uh, this was awesome. Thank you so much, Jocelyn and Sabine. We really appreciate you coming on. I know that as connectors and, and plugins are further integrated into M365 Copilot, that we're, we're going to have more of this story to tell. So we look forward to having you back on to, to talk about this later. Yeah, and keep us grounded. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. This was great. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.